couple that was quietly sitting in a dimly lit restaurant was such a romantic sight, probably in their 60s. You could tell they had been married for a while. It was every reason to celebrate as they were honoring their anniversary of over 30 years with the tinkle of silverware and the, the ambiance of that romantic setting. There was a tiny puff of smoke upon the white linen tablecloths and a little fairy appeared. She said, you have been such an incredible example of marriage, an exemplary uh, couple. And, and for this and for loving each other in better and worse, I am going to grant each of you a wish. The lady clapped her hands. She was so excited. She said, oh, I would love to travel the world with my husband. The fairy waved her magic wand over instantly. There were tickets in her hands and passports and itineraries and cruise line uh, tickets. And she was so excited. The man got excited too as he realized this is really happening. And, and, and he reflected for a moment and he, he, he was trying to think, you know, we don't want to waste those wishes. Uh, he said, you know, this is so romantic, but I understand this is an opportunity that might never come this way again. And so he decided to bear his innermost desires. As he said, my wish is to have a wife 30 years younger than me. The fairy answered, your wish is my command. And poof, he was 90 years old. <laughs> now lest you think pastor has absolutely lost his mind. My favorite one is this one. Three men are stranded on a desert island. They have... Are, are, they, they, they've exhausted the coconuts They can't find fresh water hardly They are starving to death And they every morning they walk the, the, the cove and the shoreline Just to see if anything might be there That would sustain them And one day a lamp appeared And so they were cleaning up the barnacles And cleaning up the, the, the crud, the algae on there And a genie appeared out of the lamp The genie said I'm going to grant each of you three men one wish. The first man rubbed the lamp and said, I wish I was home. And poof, he was gone. Second man said, well that makes sense. And he rubbed the lamp and said, I wish I was home. And poof, he disappeared too. The genie looked with expectation at the third man, ribs protruding, starving, waiting. He said, what is your wish? The man said, well, I'm feeling kind of alone. I wish my friends were here. There's a moral to these stories. I don't know that I've ever preached like this, or at least with this kind of a, of a title, but we'll get biblical in a moment and all will be forgiven, I hope. But you better be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. I want to take your attention to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. And while I will read some, I will also uh, kind of paraphrase some and some will skip over and I'll try to fill in the blanks. I want to show you a, 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 what, what, where I want to get to. Be careful 
what you wish for. I guess perhaps because you were all apostolic and you know you were all so holy and you're probably looking down at me and 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 thinking somehow that the pastor's lost his mind because as Christians we don't use the word wish and genies. That's all right. If you if you need to so that you can get through the sermon, you could put up there be careful what you pray for. Either one works. See, the Bible teaches us in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that all of the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and they came to Samuel who was in Ramah. Samuel was the, the, the judge. Now we call him the prophet Samuel, but in reality he is that, that figure that, that bridges the book of Judges into uh, the kings and, and David and Solomon. He bridges that gap. He was a judge there in Israel. And they said, you know, Samuel, verse 5, you're old and your sons, they don't walk after the truth. They've made some, some horrid mistakes. So make us a king to judge us like all the nations. If you know anything about Israel's history, God never intended it to be a, a, a democracy or a monarchy. It was always supposed to be a theocracy, God at the head. Of course, we know the story of Judges, the book of Judges. Throughout all of that, some 400 plus years of Israel's history, roller coaster up and down the Bible, it, it says that, that there arose a generation. This is kind of the first part of the book of Judges. There's a, a verse that says, There arose a generation after Joshua that knew not the th God nor the things that he had done for Israel. And then bookended on the end of jo Judges is this uh, epitaph. And every man did what was right in their own eyes. So first off, they forgot God. And second off, they just did whatever they wanted to do. And this is the area in which Judges ends and First Samuel begins. And they had looked around at all of these kingdoms. Howbeit the same kingdoms that God had told them to utterly destroy. But they didn't. I preached about that a month or so ago. And, and they didn't destroy that. And so now they're living in their promised land. But there's all of these other kings and all of these other kingdoms going. Not only did they long after the idols. Not only did they long after the worship of those uh, uh, practices. Those idolatrous practices. But now they're longing for a king. Samuel is dismayed at this. He, he says, you don't want a king. Trust me. Uh, God has already told us in verses uh, that he's given us, you don't want a king. Kings do nothing but bad. And they kept saying over and over, give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel said, I don't know what to do, God. The people are asking. The people are crying for a, a king. I know that's not what you want. What do I do? And in verse 7, the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say thee, for they've not rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me, God. And so, how be it? Let them have a king. Samuel tried one more time. Samuel got in front of all of the crowd, all of the elders of Israel and anyone else that was there and he said, let me tell you, those of you that want a king, those of you that wish for a king, those of you that are praying for a king, this is the manner that you will find when you get a king. He'll reign over you. He'll take your sons and he'll put them a draft, a forced draft into an army for his chariots and his horsemen and footmen. He'll appoint captains of a thousands and fifties and 
and, and, and he'll, he'll take and reap your harvest and make instruments of war and chariots that he will have. He'll take your daughters to be the bakers and the cooks and the confectionaries. He'll take your fields as taxes and, and tribute. He'll take your vineyards, your olive yards, even the best of them, and he'll give them to the servants. Now remember, guys, you already have to give a tenth of what you make as a tithe to the Lord. That's been required, but I'm going to tell you today, not only will you lose a tenth, not, not lose, that's a bad word, not only will you give a tenth to the Lord, but you will lose another tenth to the king. He'll, he'll take your, your men servants and your maid servants. He'll take your, your livestock, your sheep, and you'll cry out in the day because the king which you chose is going to lead you astray and the Lord will not hear you. And after he gave that solemn warning of be careful what you wish for, be careful what you pray for, they refused to obey the voice of Samuel, verse 19, and they said, no, we don't care. Give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations, the verse following says. We want to be like all the rest of the world. We want to go. Let our king judge us. Let our king go before us. Let our king fight the battles. And so the Lord, Samuel once again heard all these and he goes and he gives them back to the Lord. Samuel tries so desperately to turn the tide of the prayers and the wishes of the people but it was not so. And so God said, let them have a king. There's something that you need to understand when it comes to the things of God. There's a, now, now I, I happen to, I'm very careful because I know how uh, it's not always good, but I'm a country music fan. I know some of you hate it and some of you love it. I'm a bluegrass fan. And uh, I understand that if you play a country song backwards, you get your wife back, your car back, your dog back, your job back, and all that. But as with any genre of music, there are some redeeming songs. One of the songs, one of the, the premier, especially in my day, premier country music artist was Garth Brooks. And he has a song called Unanswered Prayers. It's actually a pretty incredible song when you think about it. He was thanking God that God didn't answer the prayers that he prayed sometimes because he was praying amiss. And he probably didn't need what he was praying for. But, but we understand that and all of us would probably in a have that, that mindset that there have been prayers that God did not answer because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. The same reason when your little kid says, can I have cake for dinner? You say, no, let's eat something good and then you can have a little cake afterwards. But can I tell you, and it's proven time and time again in the Bible, that God sometimes gives you what you ask for. And you better be careful what you ask for. I'm not trying to bring God down to our level, but as a parent, have you ever gotten so tired of your kids nagging and crying and whining that you finally give in? God does the same. God says, all right, if that's really what you want, then I'm going to give it to you. But don't you dare come back and say, take it away, because I won't hearken to your voice in that day, the Lord was telling them, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. I want to take you to the book of Psalms. I'm, I'm learning this year just how deep the book of Psalms is. 
the, uh, it exactly what, it's exactly what you think it is. It's a book of psalms, a book of songs, a book of worship, and they were written usually in response to a certain situation or they were written because of what the psalmist felt and that's why you get songs or psalms like, you know, the Lord is good and His mercy endureth forever. But let me take you to the book of Psalms, chapter 106. If you ever want to read a very clear synopsis of all that Israel had done, you could almost read Psalms 106 and you don't have to read anything else. It is a perfect, concise, historical rendering of the children of Israel. I'm not going to read it all. I don't have time. But let me at least take you through about the first 15 verses. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of God? Who can show forth all of his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment. He that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory in thine inheritance. And then it takes a darker turn. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also when it was dried up, and he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of their enemies. And the water covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. And they believed his words, and they sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And if you don't hear anything else in my sermon, I want you to pay close attention to this verse 15. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Let me say that again. They, he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. In order to truly understand that, I'm going to have to pick you up out of the book of Psalms and transport you back to the book of Numbers chapter 11. The children of Israel are always, have always been a people of up and down. Uh, 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 Adam and Eve had good moments and had horrid moments. Esau, Cain, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, some of those I'm getting out of order. But if you put all of those on a graph, they go up, they go down. And it's the same with you and I, which is why we can pull from things in the Old Testament and realize we're just like them. And so I hope you hear me today. Be careful what you wish for. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, this is this place where first off before that the children of Israel they they were getting out and it's it's I don't know some somewhere between about a hundred thousand or, or about a million to, to maybe a couple million people have gone into the wilderness under the leadership of Moses and they, they get out there they've just seen the the Red Sea close over they've just seen all of that happen and then as soon as they get in the red in the wilderness after the Red Sea they start complaining oh we're gonna die we're gonna starve to death we don't have any food 
I mean, I understand that God didn't want them to kill all of their livestock because that was part of their inheritance, if you will. They needed to bring cows and, 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 and horses and, and donkeys and oxen and sheep and goats into the promised land. And they were going to have great flocks. But can I tell you, if you're really hungry, go kill a sheep out behind your, your, your uh, uh, tent and you'll have some food. But they didn't want to do that. Oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. And so God says, don't worry. I've got bread that will fall from heaven. And so every morning they woke up, there was manna. I don't know exactly what it was. I know what they did with it. The Bible says they gathered it up and, and, and it was white like coriander seed and, and they would gather it and they would grind it up in mills or they would beat it with a mortar and they made it, baked it in pans and made cakes out of it. And it tasted like some say biscuits, some say uh, a, a nice dinner roll. I don't understand, but... God did it. Every morning they woke up and you, you could gather just enough. It's right there. You didn't have to plant. You didn't have to water. You didn't have to do anything but literally bend down and pick it up. And you could have food for that day. And they did this, but that was not enough for the children of Israel. And so the Bible says in Numbers chapter 11 that there was a mixed multitude, not everybody, but a pretty good group, that began to grumble and complain and lust after more. And they said, they began to weep, and they said, we want flesh to eat. We're sick of, of biscuits. We need some meat. Which is interesting because then they say, well, we remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics and the fish which we ate in Egypt freely. And, and while I love fish, I don't think of fish as meat. I know it is. When I think of meat, I think of T-bone steak and, you know, something like that. But we're, our soul is dried away, they said. There's nothing. We have nothing beside this manna in front of our eyes. So... Moses was listening. Moses is like every other pastor. Everything gets dumped on him. Everybody complaining. Everybody throwing it, uh, their hands up. We're not going to do it. And so Moses, he's very displeased. He's very broken inside. He understands that they are displeasing God. And so he, he goes to the Lord. And the Lord tells him. Let me take you to verse 18. The Lord told Moses. He said, go tell your people. To sanctify themselves for the morrow. And they're going to have flesh. Everyone that wept in the ears of the Lord saying who will give us flesh to eat for it was well with us in Egypt. Then I'm going to tell you I the Lord am going to give you flesh to eat. Now remember God. God if we are created in the image of God. That means many of our attributes God has because we got them from the Lord. Emotions. They're not a human experience. They come from the Lord. Read your Bible. The, 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 the Lord, he wept. The Lord angered. The Lord was wroth. The Lord uh, rejoiced. So watch what the Lord does. He says, all right, I'm going to give you meat. Verse 19 of Numbers chapter 11. You're not going to have meat just for one day nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, and I love the way the Bible says it, I'm going to give you meat until it comes out of your nostrils. How many parents have ever said something like that to your children? My mom's not here, but she has said that to me. All you other, y'all are perfect parents. But he said, I'm going to give you so much meat that it's going to be loathsome unto you because you despised the Lord which was among you and you wept before him saying, why did you even bring us 
out of Egypt. And Moses, well, while he wasn't complaining, Moses, he, he, he starts to doubt. He says, Lord, come on, there's 600,000 footmen right here, much less the women and the children and the servants and everything of that. How in the world are you going to give them flesh a whole month? Are we going to have to kill all of our animals? Are we going to have to kill all of our flocks? Are, are we going to have to uh, uh, find all the fish in the sea is going to somehow magically show up? And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 23, Is the Lord's hand waxed short, short that thou shalt, and thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee. So remember, they prayed, they wished, they hoped, they begged for meat. And so verse 31 begins to take us and it says that a wind came from the Lord. It brought, it, it blew quails from the sea and they fell by the camp as if it was a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on that side. Basically, I want you to think about how far you could walk in an entire day and it was that far that quail covered and how far could you walk in one day this way and quail covered. It didn't matter what side of the camp, quail covered the earth. They didn't even hardly have to do anything but reached up, picked them up and they gathered them and the Bible says while the flesh was yet in their teeth, while they were eating and they were being blessed, if I could use that word, by what they had prayed and wished for. While they were doing that, while the flesh was in their mouth, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Be careful what you wish for. It reminds me of this. When you read Psalms, when I begin to read Psalms 106, 15, that the Lord gave them the desires of their heart, but their soul, he gave them leanness to their soul. I was reminded of a verse. It's recorded, it, the, the same saying is recorded in three of the Gospels. The first one you find, I'm going to read all three of them just so I can, can, can encompass it all. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You can have a fatness of bones, but a leanness, a starving soul. Mark recorded it this way. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Luke had a little bit different take on it. Same word, same time. For what is a man advantaged? If he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away. Bible, again, let me, I'm just going back there. He gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. It's a disturbing verse. It's a sad verse. It's one of those verses that if you're not careful, if you're not reading it in a, in a, a careful study, you skip over that verse. But when I read it and I was, it was in a devotion and I was looking at it and it just kept pounding at me and what it was saying was, Brandon, be careful how you pray. In fact, the Lord said this. The Lord taught when he taught his disciples how they should pray. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11. There was only one uh, material item, if you will, that he taught them to pray for. He said, Lord, give us our daily bread. Not T-bone steaks. Not, not caviar. He said, give us our daily bread. 
Bible says he sent leanness into their soul. They gorged themselves on meat. But, but it, the, the plague that came and it killed so many of them. And that word leanness, it means physical uh, 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 e- emaciation. It's, it's the ribs sticking out. It's the stomach protruding. It's, it's the loss of muscle tone and your flesh hangs off of you. And that's bad. You've seen the National Geographic's pictures of, of famine and those in famine and that is awful. But how much more worse is it if your soul is starving? I know that, now, now don't get me wrong, I, I have been a recipient of it, so I can't say it doesn't happen. You and I have been recipients of it. We know that God can bless you and I with material prosperity. We've all had those moments where, where God has, has you, 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 you've, you've maybe made a pledge, you've given to foreign missions, you've give, given to uh, uh something to the work of the Lord and you said I'm going to make a sacrifice in the next day where you didn't know money came it was a, a check you didn't know you were receiving or someone blessed you we've all had those moments but that is not ever to be the theme of our prayers the way we pray is not God bless me with meat bless me with money instead and let, let me, let me uh, use the words of Paul it says, and this is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Lest we fall. Something is making incredible noises. Um, he said, let me, let me try that again. See the squirrel. I'm, I'm done lost. My ADD kicked in. My song, my phone's singing to me. Uh, Paul said it this way. He was reminding kind of the same thing. Don't, don't, don't be concerned with the fatness of yourself. Make sure you're concerned with the fulfillment of your soul. And this is what he said, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8. Having food and raiment, let us be therefore content. He also goes on to say, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Just a few... Uh, it, took two Wednesdays but Brother Perryman preached on the churches of, of Revelation and if you remember the church of Laodicea which was typical of so many churches it said they could boast I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing but then the Lord said but they were unaware that their soul was wretched, miserable, poor blind and naked we can have a fatness of ourself but our soul be starving. Again, let me take you back to the Lord's prayer where the Lord said, pray this, give us this day our daily bread. And I think we need to pray that prayer. Lord, would you just provide for me? Lord, can I put my trust in you that I don't worry about the things that might come? I don't worry about the things. The foxes don't worry about where they go. The lilies don't worry about what they're going to be clothed in. And, and, and so God, I'm going to depend on you to just provide. But the main focus of that prayer ought to be thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this is the scary thing. 
This is the scary thing about what God, uh, uh, and, and I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of this. Please, please listen to me. But as you read the Bible, this is a scary thing that I've found, at least in the story of Israel. But I'm, I'm convinced that it is also the same today in 2016. That if you complain enough and if you covet enough, then God will sometimes give you exactly what you've been wanting and complaining about and coveting. But covetousness, and I wish I wrote this. This is a, a, a line from a devotion, and I, don't, I couldn't even find the author. But one person wrote it this way. Covetousness promises prosperity, but it brings painful poverty of the spirit. They complained that God wasn't doing enough for them. God had already given everything they needed to, to sustain them. That manna, even though it was bread, so to speak, I promise you it had every nutrition they needed, every nutrient they needed. But they complained and they wept and God gave them just what they asked for. And don't you know, they begin to celebrate. Ha, we got God to do what we wanted. We twisted God's arm. Look at the meat. Look at the quail. And they're ripping it off and throwing it on the grill. And they begin to put it in their mouth. And as soon as they put it in their mouth, God gets so mad at their arrogant rejection of his provision and his promises and his goodness. He gave them what they wanted. But he gave them so much they choked on it. And so significant was this action that hundreds of years later, centuries later, they were still talking about it in Psalms 106, that he gave them their request. But he sent leanness in his soul. Now this is a scary statement. Again, coming from a devotion that I read, another one another it said that God gave them what they had to have. Put air quotes around had. They had to have it. But he withdrew himself from them. Be careful what you wish for. It's amazing how satisfied you can be with a very little thing as long as you know it came from God but how absolutely unfulfilled and dry and deeply disappointed we are when it seems we've gained the whole world, but we've lost our soul. I know it's a little different on a Sunday morning. I realize that. I, I probably should go back and preach Acts 2.38 or something more evangelistic. But I, I just begin to see as I study this and look through it. I see the parallels that you and I have. The times that we get on our, on our knees and we beg and we plead. And I dare say covet when we pray something that we want from God. And we put our lives on hold. And we put the spiritual blessings on hold. And we beg Him and we think, God, I need you. But can I tell you today, you don't need anything but Jesus Christ. There is no other thing in your life that is so essential that you put God on the back burner. Those things that you want, that job or that, that, that degree or that car or, or whatever it might be, nothing is ever supposed to take God's place. Another writer said it this way, when we covet something and consider it essential and beg him to give it to us, we are asking God to replace himself with something we think is more important. That's powerful.
And I know that, that, that this is, can, can be, and, and we can use it, and, and it can be a, uh, a cliche, but there is truth. If you begin to talk to missionaries, we have missionaries that pass through our, our uh, doors on a constant basis. We have missionary children that, that attend our church. We see them. And this is why in third world countries, people can live in staggering poverty, but they can demonstrate peace and joy. When on the flip side of that, you've got rich Christians that never seem to find joy in anything and they can't have it. It's because it's the relationship to Israel's insatiable cravings. And I'm telling you, be warned. Don't ever let that covet and me take the place in the life where you begin to say where God rather may say do you want something more than me I'll give it to you and our soul starves let me read this again they soon forgot his works they waited not for his counsel they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. They tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request and sent leanness in their souls. When our eyes stray off of the Lord and on to the things of this world and, and we, we lust for money, we lust for a position, we lust to have that perfect family that everybody wants to see. We, we're always constantly saying, this is what I want. And then if we're not careful, we begin to tempt. God I, I said and I don't remember when it was just a few uh, sermons that I've preached ago I, I, I even made the statement across this pulpit that it is not necessarily wrong to put a fleece before the Lord and I, 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 I'm convinced of that. There are times in my life when I genuinely am wrestling with the word of God. And I don't know what he's doing. And I'm saying, Lord, basically when, I, when we take that fleece, if you remember it was uh, Gideon. And, and God had told Gideon, Gideon, I want you to, you're, you're going to be a judge. You're going to uh, raise up an army. You're going to go against the Midianites. I'm going to free you and, and your nation. And, and Gideon said, I can't do it. I'm scared. And finally Gideon said, okay, God, here, I got an idea. I want, I'm going to put a fleece, a, 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 a lamb, you know, a, 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 from a sheep. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to put that sheep out, that sheep uh, skin right there in the middle of the yard. And I'm going to go to sleep. And Lord, if I wake up in the morning and all of the ground around that is dry, but the, the fleece, the sheep skin is wet, then, Lord, I will know that, that this was not, you know, my own dreams, my own aspirations. It wasn't the pizza I ate last night giving me a dream. I will know it's from you. So Gideon woke up, and he went outside, and all of the drown was dry, and the fleece was wet. And he goes, okay, and then he thought for a minute. Well, you know, wool, that kind of naturally absorbs water. And so absolutely, it could be wet while everything else is dry. He said, Lord, please, would you do it one more time? Would you let the fleece be dry? And all the ground around it wet because I know that's not a natural thing. And so the next day he woke up, all of the ground is sopping wet from dew, and there's a, a fleece dry as if he got it outside of his, uh, got it from inside of his house. And can I tell you, there are moments in life that it's okay to say, Lord, would you show it very clearly the open door? 
But when you start letting your fleece be this, God, I'll serve you if you'll give me money. I'll serve you if this job comes. I'll, I'll serve you if, if, if I can get this promotion. I'll serve you if this can happen. When those fleeces come, sometimes God will say, all right, I'll let you have the desires of your heart, but your soul is going to be uh, uh, starving. Another translation says a wasting disease. It, it just, it gets me. I, I begin to think when it says they, they lusted for carnal pleasures, they yearned for Egypt. I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You could have the whole world and lose your soul. It's, it's, it, there's another illustration that I could pull out. I could take you to the parable of the sower. Who went out and sowed the seed. Some was, they were, you know, some of the seed, it, it didn't even get into the ground. It fell on the rocky uh, path in between the gardens and the sun just beat it and, and, and it died, it dried up, no life in it. Others, it says, fell upon the thorns. And of course, if you know anything about the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the voice of God. The seed is that life that he brings. But, but it, it, he tells exactly. I mean, it's one of those parables you don't have to wonder about. He goes and explains it in depth. The seed that's sown among the thorns, they are those that hear the words. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come and choke out the word and they make it unfruitful. Listen to me very carefully. A seed that fell among the storm, thorns is those that hear. It's one thing to come to church and go, mm, pastor's preaching a good message. I get that. Amen. Hallelujah. But you walk out through those doors and you are choked by life's worries, by life's riches, and by life's pleasures. And you never mature. Why? Your, your, your job might be booming. Your family might be booming. Your 401k might be booming. Your hobbies might be booming. But your soul is starving. And if your soul is starving, it cannot grow. It cannot mature. One person said it this way. You often get the things you pursue. But if you're pursuing the wrong things, you get the wrong thing. See, that's why Paul said it best. Paul said, I lay aside the sin. Everybody ought to lay aside the sin. If you don't understand that sin is bad, my goodness, we, we, we've got a whole other sermon and series, and I need to spend a lot of time with you. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize sin is bad. Nobody in their right mind says, I'm going to carry around this sin, and, and I'm going to be okay. I know a lot of people that say I've sinned. I saw something the other day, and, and I've heard it all my life. I, I've heard it from people telling it to me. They'll say, I know I'm sinning. I know I'm not right with God. I hope he doesn't come back. That blows my mind. 
that you would know that much, believe that much, and still decide to sin. I'm not talking about them. Most of us say, I don't want to sin. I don't want to come short of the glory of God. But Paul didn't keep it there. Paul said, not only do I lay aside the sin, but I lay aside every weight which doth so easily beset me. You get what you pursue. And when you lose sight of the things of God, and you start desiring those other things that that, that we read about in in the book of Numbers, I I want the things from Egypt, the leeks and the garlic and the, the fish, and I want all of that. When you get your eyes on other things, you lose sight of God. And the more you dwell on those other things, the more complex those desires and dreams come. And pretty soon, it's the other things that consume you. And over here, your soul is crying out, What about me? What about me? Don't get me wrong. I've walked enough time in this world to see the up and down of the economy. And I understand how important it is for a job. But if your job becomes the other thing, and everything you think about is wrapped up in that job, (laughs) on the other side, your soul is saying, what about me? My kids, when they get up, especially Zoe, Zane not so much, but Zoe, when she gets out of bed, if we're not moving, Say on a Saturday morning, she comes and stands at the bed or she jumps on her bed and she goes, I'm ready for breakfast. Can we have breakfast? Where's my bacon? Where's my eggs? I want breakfast. I want breakfast now. She's hungry. Your soul is that same way sometimes. I love to hunt. I love to fish. And and you know that. You can go in my office and see some of that. God's blessed me with some cool things. But if that ever becomes the other thing, And my soul begins to cry out. When sports and activities and and all of the cares of life and all of the things begin to consume our soul. And and, and that's why, and and I know I'm going to get into things. The Bible says it's a spiritual famine. It's not a famine of the soul, of of the spirit. I mean, it's not a famine of of the flesh. It's a famine of the soul. And it comes, okay, let, let, me, let me back that up. I, I messed that up pretty good. Let me read to you the verse. How about that? The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine for food or a thirst for water, but a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. How, is, how, how will those moments come to pass? Have you ever driven down our, our city? There's churches on every corner. You can can go online and watch services. You can turn on your TV and there's church services there. You can turn on your radio and there's church services there. How in the world, in a midst that is oversaturated by churches, how is there going to be a famine? Well, when you fail to hear and read the Word of God. That's why it's so important to read your Bible. That's why it's so important to 
to come to church where the word of God is preached. Let me say it again. I'm trying to get to someone. I'm trying not to just rush through it. I'm trying to make sure you understand the importance of someone that is okay with all the other things. But your soul is crying out. This is what the Lord said. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Who depends on strength, on on flesh for his strength. And his heart turns away from the Lord. He'll be like a bush in the wasteland. He'll not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert and in a salt land where no one lives. But the response to that is, God, you are my God. Earnestly will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. If you're here today and your soul is dry, it's probably because something has caused you to stop seeking God. Something has pulled you away from the Word of God. One writer, and I'm I'm closing with this, one writer said there were six things that brings the leanness of the soul. To Dr. James Feeney. He has a Pentecostal background. He understands the the strength of the Spirit of God dwelling in you. But he said this. He said, when you lust after carnal pleasures, when you dwell on life's worries, when you come preoccupied by the pursuit of wealth, when you indulge in multiple desires for things that are unrelated to the Lord and His kingdom, when you fail to read and hear and feed on the Word of God, and when you neglect to spend time seeking the Word of God and praying and waiting on God, then your soul begins to starve. Perhaps now you understand why I say be careful what you wish for. Because sometimes in our childish arrogant, me, narcissistic indulgences. We pray for that and God gives us exactly what we prayed for. But the soul is hungry. I don't remember where I ought to. But there's a verse in the Bible that says you have not because you ask amiss. You're not asking the right things and so I'm leaving you here as you stand seek first the kingdom of God seek first the kingdom of God and these other things will be added unto you but if you ever flip that and you seek for the other things then the things of God fall away and your soul is wasting I think I need to open these altars. I believe from the front to the back, from every side, you need to come. And you need to do a spiritual examination, a forensic uh, uh, autopsy of your soul's state. What are you seeking after? What's consuming you? Where is it? Don't let it be the things you want that you get at the detriment of your soul. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added. Would you come? Would you come? Hallelujah.